I believe. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. I love you, man. Thank you. Come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the universal Christian church, the communion of the saints. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we welcome you in the overcoming name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and invite his spirit to visit you wherever you're connecting with us today, one of our South Florida campuses or across the nation around the world. May this day be a day of blessing and breakthrough for you. Now, a few weeks ago, I... uh, I looked at one of the, what probably is one of the most misunderstood, misrepresented, misinterpreted line from the entire Apostles' Creed. And today, we, in two more lines, we find a close second. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and in the communion of the saints. Now, on the face of that, immediately, I snag on two words. You know what they are? Catholic. I snag on that. And saints, anybody besides me snagging on those. This is unfortunate, though, because both of those words in their original context and in their original meaning are so rich. And um, yet, if you were to ask someone on the street today and just put a microphone in their face, when I say the word Catholic, what comes to mind? Probably the Pope. Okay, Pope, Vatican, Anybody thinking that, Vatican? Uh, somebody thinking, oh, that school I used to go to, you know. Somebody might be thinking about that. Or if you say the word saints, what comes to mind? Well, you might get a St. Paul or a St. Peter or maybe a St. Augustine, uh, August, Augustine or Augustine in Florida, right? St. Augustine, St. whatever, you know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> Or somebody might say to you, oh, yeah, those 2010 New Orleans Saints, Super Bowl champions, hey, they waited a long time to get there, you know, and that's something. Yeah, but what I'm saying is both terms are so much misunderstood in our culture. If we want to understand what the apostles meant by the words, we probably ought to look at the apostles' teaching. What did they mean in the apostles' creed? And so the first place for us to go is the source documents, the New Testament. Uh, The most reliable source we have on the apostles' teaching is what we now call the New Testament. It's a compilation of some 27 different writings that are now compiled into one book that we call the New Testament. All of them were completed in the first century, which, by the way, is long before there was ever anything known as the Roman Catholic Church or before there was an All Saints Day. There was a New Testament document being written, different letters, and you know what? The word Catholic doesn't appear in it. In fact, in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, there is uh, two Greek words. There are two Greek words which can be combined to form a contraction. Kath-oles. Kath-oles. Kath is a preposition meaning throughout, and oles is a word, an adjective, meaning all. So if we put it in its context, and the English Standard Version has a really close translation of this, uh, it actually means throughout all, and... um, 
And here's what the English Standard Version translates. So the church throughout all, the church, Catholics, Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So the one place that we see that contraction separated into two words is right here. It's a summary report on the health of the church as a whole as new congregations are being launched across Galilee, Judea, and Samaria throughout all the area. Kath Oles, throughout all. It's a descriptor about the mission advance of believers that were reaching out and then sharing Christ in their world. So the earliest Christians don't use that word to refer to a particular denomination or a particular sect or a particular brand of church. It was used to refer to all true believers in Jesus Christ throughout the region, people in whom the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ was at work. So to help make that clear, some theologians and scholars have come along and said, well, we ought to change those words then. That was the original language. So they used the word universal. Instead of Catholic, they say, I believe in the Christian church universal or the universal Christian church. But that can still be confusing or misleading um, since universal can be kind of like a passive boundary or, or like maybe a, a line that you cross like to get into an institution or out of an institution. But that's not the way that it's used in Acts chapter 9. It's not a passive boundary. It's not like a circle that you can enter or exit. It's used as an organic descriptor. The church throughout an entire area enjoyed peace, was strengthened, encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and is now growing by reaching new people. The words the church throughout are more like a permeating presence than a club that you join or a, uh, an institution that you support. So I'm thinking the apostles got this from Jesus who said, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast, which a woman mixed throughout a large amount of flour until it got all the way through the dough, Matthew 13. This line in the Apostles' Creed is a statement of belief in Christ and his church on mission in pursuit of a healthy purpose, embracing the world for whom he died, for whom he rose, for whom he ascended, and is now seated at the right hand of God on high. And it's like the apostles are saying this, hey, you know what? The yeast is working. That's what it means in the creed. The original meaning means, oh, God is at work through his church in this world. I believe in Christ's church, alive and on mission in our world by the Holy Spirit's power. That's what the apostles taught, that God is at work in our world through his people. And that's what the Catholic church was about. Um, the word church actually appears 114 times in the New Testament, in the 27 different writings, 114 times. It's the Greek word ekklesia, which literally translates out of calling, out of calling. It means that the church are people who have sensed God's calling 
and then responded out of whatever they've come from into his, into following Jesus. And it just reminds us what Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice and they follow me. So can you think of a time when you sensed God's calling coming to your life and you said, I will follow? Then guess what? You're in church. You're the ecclesia. Now, if you've heard him calling but have not followed, then you haven't come out of yet. So today would be a great day to say, if you hear him calling, then you take the next step. And Jesus said, if you're my sheep, then you hear my voice and you become part of my flock. So then he tells Peter, be sure and feed my sheep. And of all those congregations, you know, the 114 times that the word church is used in the New Testament, 103 of them refer to local flocks. It's like over 90% to local flocks where people like us get fed, get led, get loved, get connected, you know, that's the flock. It's one of the images that we're supposed to embrace as we think about how we relate to God as our shepherd and then how to one another as our sheep. And then in the local church congregation, that's where we feed one another and we lead one another and we shepherd each other's lives and we become all that he would have us to become. The next image is a family, God's family. Perhaps you've heard this book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 14, and God's household, chapter, three, chapter 2, verse 19. In other words, the groups that we connect in and then the serving teams that we become a part of where we are known on a first-name basis, where your gifts make way for you into somebody else's life, where you are known and you know you are needed, that's what the family does. In a family, you know that you're known and you know that you're needed, and so likewise here. Now, I'm thinking of a couple who, facing foreclosure on their home, just got word that that very night they would have to be out. And one of their group members contacted their group. It was in session, and they left their group went to the house and packed everything up that very night. That's church. That's family. That's how this works. And then we're God's building, the temple, the temple where he dwells. Ephesians 2.21 says that, that God's dwelling place is in his people as his temple. Now, so not only... Um, you know, through history, did they build the tabernacle, build the temple, the Shekinah glory of God came down? No. At Pentecost, the fire of God came to dwell within people. And so now we become not only his flock and his family, but we become the place where God inhabits the praises of his people. So when we're singing and worshiping together and you sense the Spirit of God come to pay you a visit, that's you being church with his temple where God is now dwelling in his praises. The next one on the list is the body of Christ, Ephesians 3.6. This is the way he makes himself known in the world. Jesus makes himself known in the world the same way you do, through your body. And the way that he envisions his work continuing in his physical absence is through a multiplied presence in people where he lives, helping people inside his body, but also reaching people outside. Luis Santa Marina is now serving on our church staff. He grew up here. I mean, through the years. Yeah, he's wonderful. When we introduced him to our team recently, uh, I asked him, I said, well, is there anything you want to say? And I mean, just like that, he started naming names 
of people within our congregation who had been there for him, had poured into him, had sharpened him up, have, had encouraged him like Tracy Wagnon, like Joey Lovin. He didn't list staff people. He didn't list pastors. He started listing the names of ministry leaders, lay leaders from our congregation that had been there for him since he was in preschool and then in elementary and then in student ministry and now in drive. <laughs> and this is like, oh my goodness, that's the body of Christ being the body. His mom sent me a photograph of him uh, when we welcomed him to the team. It was when I gave him his Bible, his adventure Bible. Oh, my goodness, yeah. yeah. Look at that suit. How long has it been since I've been in one of those? That's, uh... But this is the church being the body. You know, we help people on the outside to grow up and become everything that God would have us be, and we help people on the outside find place in God's family. That's why we're wearing, some of us are wearing this cord right now, this red, this red band that you see hanging from the cross is reminding us that God made room for us so that now we can join him in making room for others and that that's what he wants his body to be doing in the world. Uh, I was told this week one of our platform worship leaders uh, went to an eye doctor recently with this request. You know, I got to have those anti-glare glasses because I do stage work. The doctor said, what kind of stage work do you do? Which kind of opened the door wide to talk about Christ's journey and how we make room for others and how we're, you know, right? And, and so before they left, the woman that was uh, taking care of her said, Joel, just that morning, you know, I was asking God about a church. Where could I go to a church? Now, by the way, if you happen to be here today because you were that woman in that eye doctor's office, I'm so glad that you came today. And I'm so glad that you responded to the invitation because you're the reason we're wearing this. And you're the reason that we're trying to be Christ's body in Miami is so that we can make room for everybody to know him as his flock, as his family, as his temple, as his body. And then you know what? Someday, the final image that Jesus gave us was in eternity, his church will be presented to him as a beautiful bride and celebrated at the wedding feast of the Lamb, Ephesians chapter 5. But until then, here's what Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And his church is his body through which he makes himself known in the world. The same way you're known through your body, Jesus wants to make himself known through his body. That's you. That's you. So Christ at the right hand of God is our head, and now heaven is a lot closer than it's ever been because his body is right here on earth in us and doing his work in our world. Now, what does that mean? Well, here's a few thoughts. Church is where we're loved on as God's family. This is what Jesus had in mind, as I understand it. If you've ever wanted to be loved for who you are, and not just because of what you do, and not just because of what you've done, or what you've left undone, or in spite of what you've done, then church is where Jesus wants that to happen. If you've ever wanted to be in a community that says, I love you, not I love you but, not I love you when, not I love you if, but I love you, period, that's what the cross means. That's the great period, the exclamation point is the resurrection, and both of them say, I love you, from God. So loved, you are so loved by God. And church is where we're to be 
loved as God's family. So what that means, Christ Journeyers, is that if you want your church to be a loving place, then guess what? You got to be a loving person. If you want a friendlier church, then guess what? You got to be friendly people. You know, don't try the church down the street and still be the way you're being. Just be friendly here and make the church a friendlier place. Because we're the church. So when we say the church is God's family, then how's your family? We, we got to live it right here. And then if you've ever longed to be inspired, to be challenged, to become more than simply what you've been. I mean, not to get stuck where you've always been and somebody just says, oh, hey, I love you. Hang in there. No, this kind of love says, I will lift you. So that's the temple image, that God has higher things in mind for us, where he wants to dwell in his people, and we become the holy dwelling place, and he starts lifting us up and transforming our lives from within. If you've ever longed to be more than what you've been, to be more than where you've been, to have a different quality of life spiritually than you've currently been stuck in, to see some of those habits break and some of those dead places come alive, then temple, this is the place where we're supposed to stretch, where God calls us to reach beyond where we've been by faith and watch for that breakthrough. God is counting on us to be that kind of people. And so here's what I need to say to you as the under-shepherd of this flock, can I count on you to be the kind of people who love others, period, can I count on you to be the kind of people who inspire and lift others to become more than what they, what they came in as? Now, of course, it's all up to you. It's up to if you want to let it happen, if you want to be part of it happening. But God is counting on us to be that kind of people. And the thing is, we're not perfect. We get that. That's what we learned last time we were together. You know, the Holy Spirit came to abide in the leavened loaf. <laughs> we got problems. We're people with problems, and we, but we get to work out those problems in community together where God's mercy is poured on and God's love makes such a difference, and God's Spirit will not let you go, will not let you down, and will not let you off. So don't confuse love with masquerading as permissiveness that's going to take you down. No, this is love that lifts you to a higher place so that you can rise up family, temple, and then body. Body is building one another up as we engage God's love and truth and share the gifts he's given us so that others can benefit as well. And then you grow in the process, right? How sad would it be for God to have a plan as great as this so that somebody else could be reached through us, but we didn't show up that day. You know, we weren't in our spot to do our part and help make the difference, because we were thinking, oh, this is about me. Can you imagine? Now, maybe I should just offer just a humble word here about the dominating defense of the United, of the University of Miami Hurricanes yesterday that I happened to see. I don't know if anybody else was watching the game, but I just wanted to let you know that where there were holes, they got filled up with people who had positions on the line that were supposed to do what they did. Can you imagine God having a plan for taking down the opposition's 
line, but his people don't show up. And as a result, somebody else doesn't get to score. We don't want to be that church. We want to be the kind of church that lives our lives pursuing God's purpose, pushing outward, kath oles, you know, throughout all Dade County and all the nations that are represented. This is God's vision for us until one day our fellowship will be fully consummated as Christ's bride in eternity. That's a message for another day. But this line means this simply, I believe in Jesus' church alive and on mission in our world. And that's the church Jesus wants us to be. So if you're part of Christ Journey Church, I got to say, then step up, join in, bring your strength and your giftedness to serve the cause, to do the mission, to love one another, and then to help somebody find Christ. I believe in the communion of the saints is how it gets personal now. Personal, that's the next statement. Now what is that? Well, let's start with saints. First, what they're not. In the apostles' teaching, saints are not a special order of high-ranking Christians to whom you can pray for a miracle. Did you know that? There's nothing in the Bible about that. Saints are normal people who are growing in Jesus. So guess what? You're looking at a saint. You want to say Saint Bill? Saint Bill? You know what? I'm looking at a room full of saints too. You ought to say to somebody sitting next to you, Saint Ulysses. Find out what their name is and just call them by their title. Saint, go ahead. Saints are normal people who have the Spirit of God in their leavened loaf because they're part of a communion that is not perfect but is growing to be more like Jesus. Saints, did you know saints are not the opposite of sinners? Did you know that? Not in the Bible, not in the apostles' teaching. You might be thinking of some rock and roll song that says, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. But that's not in the Bible. Did you know you can't even be a saint unless you know you're a sinner? In the apostles' teaching, that's how it works. They're not clear opposites. In fact, God puts his Holy Spirit in people like us who've got problems and issues and sins, and then he starts working them out. You can't be a saint unless you know you're a sinner. And then the Holy Spirit moves in and starts doing his amazing work. You don't become a saint by self-righteousness and getting more condescending and judgmental, you become a saint by letting God be the potter and your life is the clay. And you say, I'm wholly dependent upon you. Go ahead and shape me up. You just start working on me. Set me apart to be yours. That's what the word saint means. Holy means set apart, sanctified. So in the New Testament, the church of Corinth was one of the most problematic, troubled, compromised, confused, and sinful congregations in all the New Testament, and yet the Apostle Paul calls them, guess what? Saints. Saints? What? Yeah. In fact, he opens most of the letters that he wrote to the churches, Catholics, throughout the Roman Empire. He wrote to them calling them saints. Romans 1.7 If you see that word in here, would you just say it out loud when I get there? To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be, there you go, 2 Corinthians 1.1, the church of God in Corinth together with all the, Ephesians 1.1, to the, in Ephesus, Philippians 1.1, to all the, 
in Christ Jesus in Philippi. Sanctify means holiness. It doesn't mean self-righteousness. It doesn't mean that you start looking down your nose on people that don't do it your way. It doesn't mean you get full of self. Self Self-righteousness tends to be full of self. Have you noticed? But Christ's righteousness comes with humility. Talked about that last time we were together. When the Holy Spirit works on you, he starts working on your pride. It means wholly dependent. By your connection with Jesus Christ, you have access to his spirit, setting your life apart for God's work. You're just a normal person who's growing to be a Jesus follower in a way that models how to do it for somebody else. Now, the communion of the saints means all y'all. This is like, okay, all of us, you know. It's a shared connection of believers that we are having because we're each in Christ. And it doesn't matter your ethnicity, doesn't matter your gender, doesn't matter your background, your economic status, your prayer life, your Bible knowledge, your appearance. It doesn't matter your size, your shape, your sinfulness. doesn't matter if you're a cane or a knoll or a gator. What matters is you are a saint when Christ is alive in you. You are connected to him in, as your head, and he has connected you in communion with his body. But remember, holy does not mean sinless. It means set apart, like my favorite coffee mug that I drank out of this morning. It's my favorite, not because it's perfect, because it's not. It's old. It's old, and it's scarred. It has scrapes on the face of it. But it's special to me because my daughter gave it to me, and I use it because it's willing to be used. (laughs) And I can fill it up. And I can drink it out. And I can think about the richness of our relationship in the process. That's what God does with his saints. He sets them apart so that he can fill them up. And he can pour them out. And he can use them in the richness of that relationship. And then when all of us are doing it, it becomes kath oles. It's throughout all the region. And God works in you and everything that you are to accomplish his mission through the church. Now, we practice church membership at Christ's Journey. Do you know why? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body, so many are one body, so it is of Christ. Romans 12. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So we practice church membership in our church, not in the sense of joining a religious club. You know, there are no dues. You don't get a special parking space, you know, for being a member. We just let all the saints park wherever you want to, you know. Um, But in the sense of being connected to God's life in Christ, that's the membership of communion. And so we say, if Christ is alive in your heart and you are declaring your life in him through baptism, then it's like a birth certificate in the family and we've got a family for you to be part of and we make it official by saying, let's stay connected and then we'll help you grow just like we saw Lewis grow into the amazing servant of God that he is becoming in his life. And church is where that happens. This is where the holy place, where shame meets grace. This is the place 
where sins are washed away. This is the place where wounds are healed. This is the place where God is the great physician and he pours himself into the hurting places so that we can grow strong and then take the mission beyond our walls. This is the place where when his love starts rising up in us, his desire is that it overflows and it spreads kath oles. It gets throughout all the area, wherever you go as his church. And in fact, Jesus said, this is how that they're going to know your mind. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Don't let any other standard define how you love one another. The way I've done it is the way I want you to do it. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all will know that you're mine if you love one another. So, let me summarize it real quickly in three statements. First one is this. In Jesus' church, there are no boundaries that can keep God away. That's what Paul is saying in the book of Ephesians. That you are now his family. You've got a seat at the table, Ephesians 3.14. You're members of his household. And then he says you're his dwelling place. God wants to make his presence known by his spirit in your body as a temple. And in the church family as a temple. And then we're his body. Our head is closer than he's ever been. And his body is right here. And he has gifted us that we might give to one another. And God is counting on us to be his family, his temple, his body, his mission, and as your pastor, would it be okay if I counted on you to love the way he wants us to love, to serve the way he wants us to serve, to be available the way he wants us to be available so that God can make himself known to us in our world as a kath oles. He's already removed every obstacle. The law has been fulfilled. The sacrifice has been completed. The temple has come down, and now his spirit is alive through the cross, resurrection, and coming of Pentecost, the spirit at Pentecost, in a church like ours, like you, saint, right here, where we let God be God. Second statement, in Jesus' church, there are no barriers that push people apart. If you see what the apostles were thinking about that, here's what they said. Here's what Paul said. All who were, in, who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves. You're connected to the head now. Have clothed yourselves with Christ, and there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free or male or female. You are all one in Jesus Christ. What's he talking about? That the church is the place where no social barrier can exclude those that God is calling to be included. And so we got to make room for the ones he's calling in to join us. His ministry, his Messiah is for everybody. His message is for everybody. His ministry is for everybody. Don't leave anybody out. That's what universal means. And I'm not a big fan of that word universal. But we understand what the theologians are trying to say. In God's church, he gives everybody to make a difference for somebody. And if you don't show up, then there's a hole in the line. And we need you. Now you are the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, and each one of us is part of it. Peter said this, each one should use whatever gift he has received to say what? Oh, for me, I love my gift. No, serve others with it then. He's given it to you so you can use it with your family, so that you can strengthen your body, so that he can fill it and bless it and then help somebody else through it. 
It's like church is one great big pomegranate. You know, you like pomegranates? They're healthy. But when you open that one big fruit up, you know what you discover? Oh, my goodness, look at all those things. And they're so tight, aren't they? They don't separate easily. That's your church. That's one church. This is Jesus' vision for church, that we're going to be tight and share God's love so others can taste and see the Lord is good. And then thirdly, in Jesus' church, there is no burden too much for holiness to bear. Surely this is the central truth of communion that we share. When we bring the elements out, it's not because we're perfect people. We're not. We're imperfect people. Just like Corinth, where Paul wrote to them about communion. They were uh, disobedient people, but they weren't disconnected from Christ. They were selfish people. They were confused about the diversity of their giftedness, but they weren't disqualified from using them. And so Paul says, hey, remember communion. He's talking to this troubled church. And he said, it's the great centerpiece that God places in the middle of his table so that everybody in the family can see it. And when they look at it, they're going to remember, oh, hey, we're one in him. It's reminding us that we're all, we're many, but we're still one in him. And that he meets us at the place of our deepest human need. That he's the one who takes our sin, cleanses us with the spiritual anesthetic or antiseptic. He's the one who washes our wounds and then uh, treats the stuff of our lives with spiritual disinfectant. He is the great physician who medicates our need with divine healing, the physician who is also the cure. 1 Corinthians 1.30, Jesus Christ is our righteousness, not self-righteousness. Jesus Christ is our holiness. Jesus Christ is our redemption. Communion is the visual centerpiece that's supposed to remind us that of our place at the table, of our place in the body, of our place in the family, and not by self-righteousness, but by Christ's righteousness. And as the church this year, our focus has been on being the church on the edge. What does that mean? Well, we want to sharpen our outreach, our evangelism. That's what that red band means. We want to deepen our discipleship. We want to get closer to one another in group and deeper in his word. We want to uh, be more generous in using our gifts and our time for one another and our, our resources. And you know what? I use three stories in the message, one for each of those. Maybe you'll think about it in a moment. But you're wondering, where's the empowerment one? Well, that's the one you're going to write as a result of this lesson. Of our time together, that's the one I'm handing off to you. Because empowerment is about leading by letting go. You show somebody else how to do it, and then you say, okay, now you go do it. And that's how we empower. That's how Jesus did with his disciples. He said, now you go into all the world and make disciples. And I want to say that to you today. Take the next step with God. And wherever he would take you, sharpen. Now, it's messy because we are, but it's worth it in ways few other things are. I think that I shall never see a church that's all it's meant to be, a church whose members never stray beyond the straight and narrow way, a church who has no empty pews, whose preacher never sings the blues, where gossips never peddle lies or make complaints or criticize, whose members are all sweet and kind and to each other's faults are blind. Such churches there may be, but none of them are known to me. So let us work and pray and plan. And why not make this church the best we can?
Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your love for us, your patience with us. Lord Jesus, for your vision for us to become more than what we've been and stretch out farther than we've imagined by trusting your love to go deeper in us. We pray your love would find welcome in hearts and souls today, that your truth would find welcome in minds, but more than that, that you would move us into action. What's your next step, brother, sister? And maybe for you, this is the the day of salvation. And so I'm going to offer a prayer right now, and if it seems right to join me in it, I'm going to invite you to do that. Lord Jesus, I believe you love me. You want me in your family. You gave yourself for me, and so I'm receiving forgiveness as your gift. And I ask you to come into my life and fill me, set me apart where you can do your work. And and then shape me. You're the potter, I'm the clay. And I invite you to have your way in me right now. Now, our heads are still bowed just for a moment, but if you prayed that prayer with me and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, would you simply raise your hand and hold it up wherever you're seated? Um, You're joining us online, then you can click right there on the screen in front of you or Kindle Campus. You know we are praying with and for your pastor as he's watching now as well. Thank you to the back on the left and right down here in the front, in the center, and right on the aisle to my left and over to my right again in the middle and then toward the door as well. God bless you. And then right here in the center as well. God bless you. Amen. Lord Jesus, for every person who by uplifted hand has said, my heart is open to you and I'm willing I'm willing for you to fill me and use me and have your way of blessing in my life. We pray right now that they would sense the love of this family as they feel the presence of your Holy Spirit and we celebrate their next step of faith with you. Amen.